Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. I'm Alex Kantrowitz and... I'm Brian McCullough. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home experience, as Chris likes to say, but the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast in general. The experiences are bonus episodes. Uh, So we're doing this together. We're doing a crossover episode where it's kind of a little bit of big technology podcast, a little bit of Tech Meme Ride Home. We're airing it on both feeds in an attempt to give our listeners, A, a fun episode, and B, a little bit of an entry into a show that we like. I'm a big fan of Tech Meme Ride Home. been on it a couple times. Uh, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about what Tech Meme Ride Home is all about? Yeah, it's literally um, a daily show, at least weekdays daily. 15-minute roundup of the tech news, but it's not just reading headlines because you can get a robot to do that. I tried to do a tiny bit of analysis, but also bring context. So I'll, I'll tell you what the you know, five or six big stories of the day are, but then here are the tweets around it. Here's what people are saying around it. And it's sort of like, um, if people know tech meme, it's a, it's a thing that people go to multiple times a day to find out what's been happening today. I do the same thing in a 15 minute sort of podcast snippet. Um, and so the idea is, is on your ride home, which is why we call it the Tech Meme Right Home. Uh, I'll catch you up on what you missed because hopefully you were doing real work and, and making real things happen. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Yeah. Right. So, but, um, you know, ride home or not, because a lot of us are working from home now, even still, yeah. um, it's a great way to catch up on tech news. You can listen to it every day. And, uh, and now I'll do a quick intro, big technology podcast for people that don't know it. Um, we air once or twice a week. It's an interview podcast with tech insiders and outside agitators. Actually, now that we're talking about it, I think the shows are really good compliments to each other Yeah, where you can go deep, uh, you know, and, and, um, you know, catch up on the news. If you're listening, you know, to both shows throughout the, throughout the week. Um, and with my show, what I try to do is get somebody who's in those headlines, whether it's a journalist or um, someone who's making waves in the industry, um, somebody who's been on the outside and is, and is criticizing it. Uh, so for instance, a couple of weeks ago, I had Jonathan Haidt, who's a professor who wrote a long story about how social ma- media is making us uniquely stupid. Last week I had, um, or two weeks ago, I had uh, Blake Lemoyne, who was the Google engineer, who was uh, actually fired almost uh, as we were recording um, for going out in public and saying that it's chatbot Lambda AI uh, was sentient. And then um, most recently, a couple days ago, we had Brendan Nyhan on, who's another professor and gave the counterpoint to Jonathan Heights. Social media is making us stupid. His, his perspective is, you know what, maybe it's not uh, all that bad. We still don't know a lot of things about it. So we try to get nuanced, try to get deep, um, and we try to give people a look uh, beyond what they just read. Well, and your, you know, listeners to my show will know this, hopefully, but if you don't, um, you know, Alex is a real reporter, whereas I'm a more of a gadfly, you know, I I would never call myself a reporter because I'm a founder and and now a VC. What I'm trying to say is, is that you, you do actual 
reporting and like digging into the weeds. You do the stories that I read on my show and summarize. You have Nick Clegg on, you know, I'm not going to get Nick Clegg on my show. So you're doing the the sort of work that is sort of beyond me. By the way, if anyone can hear, we're in my kitchen in Brooklyn. So uh, that uh, police helicopter that goes up there. And Brian, you know, you're, I I look at you as the pod guy. Um, Actually, I think big technology podcast never really would have gotten off the ground if it wasn't for you. I saw, um, you know, you had been talking about how the podcast industry was expanding. And even before I launched big technology, I wrote to you and said, uh, what, what's the deal with this podcast thing? And you're like, Oh yeah, it's good. There's interest. Um, it's a good business. It's fun. You should do it. And I found that that was, uh, was really helpful and generous of you, of your time and advice to, you know, give me that kick in the butt I needed to start the podcast. Well, and now I'm trying to get him to start a, a venture fund like I did. Uh, so That's watch, way, way in watch this space so, in a few years. Yeah. Yes. If there's a big technology, uh, technology fund, that would be great. Yeah. Well, it's not a great time for, for VC right now. It's not a great time. I, for... I disagree, but I, okay, you'll, we'll you'll think, you'll think I'm talking second my book. Half. So, yeah, we'll get yeah. to that in the second half. And we do know actually that um, there's a lot of dry powder out there. So um, VCs have a lot of money to deploy and they are deploying it. So it's not like funding has entirely dried up. But um, why don't we start with the public companies in the second half? We can talk about whether we're in a recession, if that's something we want to debate, what's happening in e-commerce, what's happening to startups. Um, but the big story in our neck of the woods, at least over the past you know, couple of weeks, couple of months maybe, has been this very awkward pivot to question mark that Meta has been up to. Mm. Um, what is Meta pivoting to? It's pivoting to the metaverse, obviously, which is still sort of this ill-defined space, which might be VR, which might be AR, which might be, you know, playing a video game on a 2D screen. Um, that's obviously the future of the company. They're no longer Facebook. They're Meta right now. But as they wait in order for that, you know, hypothetical reality mm-hmm. to potentially take off, what they have right now is their existing flagship business, AKA Facebook and Instagram, that doesn't seem to quite really know what it is. Because if you look at social media, you have, you know, obviously friends and family, which is the bread and butter of Facebook. Uh, You have interest, which has been something that Instagram has been about, something that Twitter is about. Instagram just does a much better job of it. And you have entertainment, which is what TikTok has been about. Now TikTok is blowing Instagram and Facebook I wouldn't say completely out of the water, but it's really competing it uh, with it in a way that these companies haven't seen before. And in the past few weeks, we've really seen the company stuck saying, you know, we want to emulate TikTok, but we don't quite know exactly how much we can do that without sacrificing what's making people use these apps well, in the first place. I, the so users, what's your read on it, Brian? The users told them that. But that, so that this is what I'm trying to figure yeah. out here because the users tell Facebook all the time. All the time. Every, they, every time they share up yeah. to. Sure. We didn't like the news feed. Right. Facebook went forward right. with the news feed. Turns out it was a revolutionary format. We hated the fact that they were copying stories from Snapchat. You know, felt that it was wrong. They did a good job on that. And now we all use stories. What exactly is different, in your opinion, here with the real situation? I, I actually do think that we're at a different inflection point because what the users are saying now is that the way people use social media has evolved. And it's maybe, it's not always evolved because why did Snapchat become Snapchat? It was because a certain demographic wanted a different thing out of social media than what was existent at the time, right? And, and that is? 
well, that was the ephemerality. That was the stories. Basically, that was a way to share without broadcasting to, to everybody your, you know. To your parents, exactly. Your mom, your dad, your gym teacher from sixth grade, your cousin that you hate. So now take that and multiply it by five, where I go to TikTok for a certain use case. I go to Instagram for a certain use case. I go to Twitter. I go to uh, WhatsApp. Um, you know, there's a thing I just read that said, you know, WhatsApp is like the biggest messaging platform on the planet that, um, you know, entire countries on the southern half of the globe run their businesses on and and Facebook's only innovation with WhatsApp has been to put stories on top of it right so this is I'm getting to what I think is different now I think that we're 20 years into social media if you go all the way back to um, Six Degrees and and, uh, Friendster and things like that we're not as a society, we're not new to this anymore. We are mature users of social media as a platform. And so we have our use cases. And what the users are saying right now to Zuck is, don't make Instagram TikTok because I go to TikTok for TikTok stuff, for what it serves in my life. And if you are going to just TikTokify Instagram like you um, snapped Instagram, stories to Instagram, you're only going to make me abandon Instagram because I I have a use case for Instagram that you're obviating, that you're making worse. And so that's the friends and family stuff. Well, or whatever, you know, if it is, if it is the, the, the celebrities or whatever. Right. Um, but, but the point is, is that I think, I think <laughs> it's a great tagline for Instagram, Instagram, the celebrities or whatever for celebrities or they whatever work for a billion people. <laughs> exactly. But, um, I, I do think that the problem is I, I want to get into what I think the real motivation of all of this is, but I think the problem is that, um, Zuckerberg and, and meta slash Facebook writ large were able to continue to stay ahead of the curve by absorbing um, sometimes literally acquiring companies, sometimes copying what they do. And that can't work in, in a world where th- they were basically existing in sort of a monopolistic ecosystem that they created of their own. Um, and because Snap's still extant, because there's no way they're going to be able to buy ByteDance, like th- these, you have these different flavors. You have Pepsis to Cokes. You can no longer say there's Coke and there's Cherry Coke and there's Coke One and Coke Zero. People are going to go for a Mountain Dew every now and again. And if you shove Mountain Dew in my Coke, why am I buying Coke? That's literally what people are saying to them. And I don't know that this is a problem that they can't, that they philosophically really want to face. Well, okay. So let's talk about the evolutions Mm -hmm. because you, you mentioned that social media is 20 years old. Yeah. True. And so the way that we have found content on the internet has actually gone through a series of evolutions. And I think this is kind of leading us to where we are today. So at first it used to be that there were websites that you would go to. Okay. Then maybe you would search for different topics and you'd find interesting content that way. The revolution that Facebook ushered in was that you would find stuff based off of what your friends and family were sharing. And you, you use those people as curators for the content that you would find online. 
it turns out that actually the content that we like to watch, mm -hmm. a lot of it is gossipy. A lot yeah. of it is, you know, what's going on in my hometown, what's going on with the people that I know. And Facebook exploded because it really filled that curiosity right. Right. in an amazing way. So the natural way that you would think is you're going to, if you want to follow people, you follow, you know, symmetrically based off of people, you know. Twitter, okay, now Twitter said, what if you follow the people that you are interested in? Right. So you follow what you want, and, and it's you do the work to curate what you want to see, yeah. and that will be Twitter. And it, it didn't work. It's an amazing product, right. no doubt about right. it. It has its flaws. It's an amazing product. Um, but that one innovation could only get Twitter so far. Instagram copied, what, copied them, brought some friends and family in, still went visual, but it still made you do the work. It was just a lot easier. And, and you could figure out the Instagram experience much more because you were picking the pictures. Hold on. I just want to finish this one part. The thing... So... so up until TikTok, we had been sorting our feeds on our own based off of mm, people mm, that mm -hmm. we followed. Yes, and yes. the algorithm was a yep. second layer on that. Yep. TikTok flipped that on its head. Yes. TikTok basically said, it doesn't matter who you follow. Yeah. We're going to, via our algorithm, show you the content you know, that we think you're going to like the most. And that follow will just be a, one data input into mm -hmm, our feed. Mm -hmm. It won't be the whole feed. And that changed the game. And now I think where you, what the, the issue is that you have with Facebook and Instagram and even Twitter to some extent is that they're still playing that old game where the content that you find to them primarily is based on who you follow. So it doesn't matter if they're trying to prioritize their reels more often until they either fully say, we're going to be what we were in the past, and you're still going to like that. It might not be as popular, but there's a use case for that. Or we're giving up on that completely and saying we're going to go the TikTok style. Algorithms recommend maybe we do a tab to show you friends and family. But until Facebook decides we want either column A or column B, you know, it's not. I don't think it's a matter of mixing sodas. I think it's a matter of making a clear decision one way or the other of what their strategy is. And they're stuck in the middle right now. They don't have a vision, and that's why we're seeing them go back and forth. It's so funny because on my show, we keep falling into this thing of doing the history of how social media has evolved. So I've, I've had this conversation a couple times now. You missed one important ingredient, I also think, uh, from Snap, which is that Snap made um, entertainment mm -hmm. inside an app. How many times did Facebook try to pivot to video mm -hmm. and make watching videos and watching TV shows? And we're going to spend however many millions of dollars to create these shows and things like that. That's what TikTok learned or, or, or it perfected from Snap, which is, I know that TikTok is a social network in the sense that users also create the content that's on there. But Nine times out of ten, when you go to TikTok, you're just scrolling to watch stuff. It's a lean back mm -hmm. medium. Zuck has always wanted that. And so that's the other thing that I feel like philosophically they're halfway across the river and they, the oars have fallen <laughs> underwater, you know? Right. And so they're stuck because this is kind of where he's always wanted to go. Um, so but hold on. Before yeah. we move on on that, I, I think that. Um, I think you're giving Snap a little too much credit on mm. this. Uh, they do have their Discover mm -hmm. uh, part of the app, but um, they monetize per user at a lower rate than mm. Twitter does. Mm. And the reason is, in my opinion, is because most people stay in the chat part of Snapchat. Right. So it's less about the Snap. It's more about the chat. And the entertainment, they, they do have a successful entertainment tab. Obviously, that's where a lot of their revenue is coming from. But I would say I'll make an even more extreme statement here and say that TikTok uh, is the first 
the first social company, maybe outside of YouTube, if you want to account, count YouTube, but they're the first social company that actually uh, made this lean back experience. Not that, only that's possible, what I was saying. but popular. Yeah. But I, I don't think, I don't, I would almost say that YouTube is the pretender of that. Not well, so. that's true. That's true. Um, but also in, in, in my sort of historical discussions of this, you know, talking about be real, I'm always like, it doesn't matter what the gimmick is that makes you rise to the top and get popular. In the end, the way that you last is if you hook a certain generation in the chat part of it, like you said, yes. or, uh, or of, of um, you know, if, if, if a certain generation, if that's how they communicate with their friend circle, then that's how you last. And that's what happened with Snapchat. And that's what happened with Instagram for a certain generation. That's what happened to Facebook. For, that's what happened to Friendster and, and MySpace. They capture certain generations where the social graph, that's how you communicate. Let, let me ask you this then. Do you think, I never thought about this before, but do you think TikTok might be a little bit vulnerable then? Oh, for because sure. Because it doesn't have a chat function. Uh, yes, but you've seen the rumors like I have that they're you know thinking of doing a music app. They're, do, they're, they're more, they, they get to benefit from standing on 20 years of experience is they're going to do a fully... Uh, I'm sure integrated, they're going to have a Spotify competitor. They're going to have, um, you know, uh, 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 Facebook marketplace competitor. Or they may probably already do. I don't know. I mean, if yeah. you're, if you're TikTok, you have this one thing that you do better than anyone else, which is have yes. this amazing algorithm and easy creation flow. And as soon as you start, you know, it, with Instagram, the thing that they, we talked about this on the past of my show, Kevin uh, wheel, who's the former uh, head of product for, for Instagram uh, was on. And we talked about a little bit how, how Instagram, uh, didn't and I think this is from Sarah Fryer's book, No Filter. Never wanted that hamburger menu, you know, those mm. three bars mm. on top because it became too too uh, crowded, and then you sort of lost the elegance of using the app. The appeal of using that app goes away a little bit. And right now, after adding all these features, Instagram has the hamburger menu. And I think even before the TikTok uh, competition ramped up to the way that it is at this point. Um, you started to see Instagram start to fall a little bit mm -hmm. in the way that it was appealing to people. One more question about this. Yeah. Um, we started, so uh, Brendan Carr, another former guest of Big Technology Podcast, FCC commissioner, mm -hmm. is pushing hard. I don't know if it's for the U.S. to ban TikTok or mm. whatever it might be. Yeah. Now, when this happened during the Trump administration, it sort of felt like a bit of a sideshow, and it ended up being one where this deal was brought to Microsoft, it fizzled, it was brought to Oracle, it fizzled. Nothing really came of it in mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that the U.S., Europe, um, mm -hmm. are going to start eventually having some some serious issues with TikTok being um, owned and operated in, in China for all intents and yeah. purposes, and um, and and it not being uh, uh, you know fully transparent. Because in the past weeks, we have seen you know a number of stories about how yeah. ByteDance, for instance, which is TikTok's parent company, has pushed you know, pro-Chinese uh, government propaganda in one of its apps. And, you know, there's every now and again these flare, flares of rumors that some of the same stuff is happening within TikTok, whether it's trying to influence um, or, uh, or uh, a lack of data privacy or data security that we thought existed there. Brian, how big of an issue do you think this is going to be as we look forward? Uh, depends on if China invades Taiwan in the next 18 months. I mean, yeah, like I was actually thinking about that. Like, yeah. imagine, I mean, it's sort of a, uh, I mean, let's say, let's say TikTok was owned by Russia. 
yeah. and Russia it'd be, already, it'd be already shut. So what would happen? It'd be so, shut. I mean, if China invades, yeah. we don't. Let's you know set the ground here. Uh, we don't know if China is going to invade. Is it possible? Sure. Um, but is there a moment where it becomes impossible because impossible for the United States to have TikTok? It, it's. I'm not saying it, it's likely, the, but it's not out of the pill. There, there, there is a moment, and and I, I, I actually would posit that it wouldn't require China invading Taiwan for that moment to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also do believe that they would do some intermediary step, like forcing a divestment like they attempted to they do tried. in the Trump, yeah. Trump administration. But um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. As we've seen now, uh, at least, you know, Six Degrees, Friendster, MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, Snap, now TikTok? Am I missing one? I feel like I'm missing somebody. Twitter, Twitter in there in the middle. Um, <laughs> Very easily forgettable. What I'm saying is, is that some of them go away. TikTok is probably one of those that is maybe more likely to be a, as, as Rand Broderick said, a, a trivia question 10 years from now huh. um, than it's, others. Yeah, it's pretty vulnerable. And you look at the companies that are coming for it. YouTube, for instance, mm-hmm. which I think has a billion people mm-hmm. using shorts every day or uh, or a month or something like that. Yeah. And Facebook, which is obviously making this a priority. Facebook, I think, in its uh, earnings call last week said Reels volume is up 30%. Right. Now, everyone looked at the fact that its revenue declined for the first time ever, which is a big problem. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is because they're moving to this new format and it takes time for them to set up the sales team and monetize the way that they could their traditional ad formats. Um. Before we move on from, because we originally started this to talk about Meta, and and I have I have two big things that I want to talk about Meta before Great. we move on from. Yeah, it. Um, this is this leads to something that you said maybe ten minutes ago. Um, Scott Rosenberg and Axios this week said, quote, the era in which social networking served as most users' primary experience of the internet is moving behind us. This leaves a vacuum in the middle, the space of forums, ad hoc group formation, and small communities that first drove excitement around internet adoption in the pre-Facebook era. Things like Discord. I'm, I'm, this is me now. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also um, Ryan Broderick in Garbage Day. He goes on to say, Rosenberg said that the internet is separating into messages, messengers, and discovery engines with a gulf in the middle for genuine social networking. So what if what we're seeing, and this is why Meta seems adrift, is the monopoly era of social networking is ending. And this is what I'm hinting at by saying it's now splintering into multiple different competitors that no one competitor can gobble up, no one competitor can copy sufficiently, no one. And so in that sense, I don't know that Zuckerberg, and I'm using Zuckerberg specifically because this is going to be my second point, knows how to grok. So my perspective on this monopoly era question is that there's never been a monopoly in social media. I don't think it's possible, and this is not a popular perspective, but I'm just going to say what I believe. I don't think it's possible to be a monopoly if with one notification Mm. uh, on the iPhone, Mm. you lose $10 billion in a year, which Mm -hmm. is what's happening Mm -hmm. to Meta, probably more, Mm -hmm. the fact that, that Apple cut off their tracking. Yeah. If you don't own the operating right. system, if you are an app on an operating system that's controlled by your direct competitors, yes. 
it is a very tough argument to make that you are a monopoly. Now, I know people will say social networking is its own category. Facebook is a monopoly. But you can't just look at the one moment if it's a dominant company. Um, TikTok today has people using it more time on average than Facebook ever had, ever had right. in its history. That's astonishing. And I think that's like really important context when it comes to this monopoly question. I also think that um, Facebook did see this movement into smaller communities come and and really pushed. You know, groups. there was two groups exactly. Groups had two moments in Facebook. It had that first moment where like it was Facebook 1.0 and everybody mm-hmm. was hanging out in groups mm-hmm. and like showing that as a way to display their identity. And then people were like, I don't really need groups. I have the news feed. And then groups made a big comeback because the problem we described in the beginning, this idea of not wanting to share. And in front of your everybody you know, you'd much rather share with a smaller group that are interest-based, and that actually revitalized the newsfeed in a way that's like total, or totally underappreciated. And this is kind of funny because when Facebook did this whole pivot to privacy thing a couple of years ago, I guess they've done it four or five times at this point. But when it pivoted to privacy, what it really meant was pivot to smaller groups because yes, it knew yes. people didn't want to broadcast on the newsfeed. So I think that this idea that there's a gap um, that Scott brings up, um, you know, I'll, I'll just say to that, maybe, I mean, it does seem to be like a very like tech insider centric, US centric mm. point of view, where like you look at the fact that Facebook still has and the latest numbers, what, 3.7 billion people using it every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's Discord's numbers? I mean, I'm sure yeah, that yeah. they have like pretty um, engaged communities and these chat apps are certainly, uh, you know, starting to rise. But I think that with the pivots that Facebook did, the focus on groups, um, the acquisition of WhatsApp, which I think will probably go down as an all-timer, even better than the Instagram acquisition, for sure. For sure. The building out of Messenger, and then you know the the work that they did with Instagram messaging, um, it and it does seem to me that um, a lot of that activity that we look at as a gap, um, if we sort of discount, you know, some of the. Um, coastal locations in the U.S. is still happening. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features features help you say the right thing at the right time every time plus you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to constant contacts best in class 97% deliverability rate i use this and you should too tackle any challenge with constant contacts expert live customer support plus everything's backed by their 30 day money back guarantee so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Constantcontact.com. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts 
has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO five-pocket pants. The right sort of step-up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional-looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. All right. Uh, Last point on this, and this is sort of the bigger one, which is why I'm talking about Zuck, which is um, last week there were a couple stories about um, the the Zuckerberg internal meeting or whatever where he says certain people shouldn't be here and I'm okay (laughs) with that and stuff like that and sort of like um, wartime CEO sort of talk and stuff. Um, When we're talking about social networking, this was actually, people forget this, but before Facebook's IPO, one of the reasons that people were bearish on social networking is like, it's, it's so fad based. Sure. There's, you have a hundred million users now, but talk to me in three years. Right. Um, I do think that it's, it's, it's not faddish in the sense that people completely abandon it. Like they did MySpace. What I think happens and Zuck knows this is that it's faddish in terms of you hook a certain generation and that's their jam. Mm -hmm. And then, somebody else hooks the next generation coming up unless you get there first. Right. Um, and in those articles, there was one in the times and one, I can't remember the verge, the verge. Um, what he's talking about is, is relevancy, not only with the audience, but with the talent that Mm -hmm. meta can hire the employees that he can attract to meta. Here's my question to you. And this is a harsh one. No one is ever going to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure Zuck was going to run for president. That's why he was doing that, that tour around the country in 2016. Didn't work out. That would have been one campaign to watch. <laughs> he, um, they obviously wanted to do crypto, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we know that. Didn't work out. And now um, the metaverse. If you are a young, talented, 25-year-old engineer and you have your choice of companies to work for. How can you look at Meta and not see anything other than a giant project to keep Mark Zuckerberg relevant (laughs) and interested in coming to work? The problem with Meta right now, I would posit, Mm -hmm. is it is the most in need of its founder stepping aside. Ooh, that's interesting. Okay, so I, I will, um, for the sake of argument, try to articulate the meta position. Uh, I think that the you still come in to work with the ability to potentially uh, influence a product that three billion people use. Indeed, um, that will always be a big appeal. Um, then you look at like so. Let's say you're deciding between tech giants. Um, there are drawbacks everywhere. Um, 
you know, Apple tends to hire overqualified people and make them pull their hair out for a number of years and sort of hate their jobs. They make pretty stuff, but it's a very top-down culture. You probably won't be listened to at Apple. Um, and so, you know, if someone wants to, you know, if someone's a little bit more ambitious, um, you know, maybe Meta's a good place. Amazon, I've wrote about this in my book, Always Day One, fascinating place to work. Um, four years at Amazon and you're trained in a way that no other company will train you. There's a ton of autonomy there. The only downside is that you work like crazy. And it's for some people and not for others. Um, so that does sort of say, okay, a segment of the workforce is not going to go Amazon. I remember one of uh, the most uh, interesting conversations that stood out to me, you know, because obviously they have a lot of holiday volume at Amazon, where I spoke with one uh, ex-employee from the retail organization. He got the job. He tells his family, daddy's going to war, and he didn't see Thanksgiving for six years. Yes. Um, you know, Google Google is interesting, but is there really that big of a difference between Google and Meta? Okay, a couple hundred billion dollars mm-hmm. on the market cap. Um you know, but uh, it's still it's a search search company. But this is what I'm saying. And Microsoft to you. is boring. Yes, <clears throat> go what, a good company. What, what I'm saying to you, yeah. and this is true of a lot of companies. Like uh-huh. if, you, if you go to Tesla, you're working for the mm-hmm. god Elon Musk. Yeah. At Meta right now, you are working for the god Mark Zuckerberg, as he flails. It feels obvious to everyone watching mm-hmm. that he is grasping at straws, that he is looking around for things. Someday, Ready Player One is going to be real. Do we want that? Doesn't matter. Mark wants it because he wants. Remember the thing yeah. when people psychoanalyze Zuckerberg. Remember he's he 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 loves civilization. Uh-huh. He loves Roman emperors. He or cuts whatever. his hair like Caesar. So, cuts his hair like Caesar. Uh, his I, I'm not going to say the kids. Uh, he named his kids yes yeah, mm-hmm. after uh, anyway <laughs> the. He, I think, psychoanalyzing billionaires is something that I try to avoid, but I do it more than I should. Um, I think Zuckerberg realized that, what am I going to do? Take over half the world like Genghis Khan? No, in the modern era, the thing that is the most power is all of the planet plays in my sandbox, right? And so he's feeling that start to, the sandbox is starting to lose sand slowly. And he's trying to grasp for the next thing to keep everyone playing in my sandbox, playing my game of civilization. But, yeah. But, uh, I, you know, it, sorry, go ahead. Finish the thought. I feel like that that's transparently what is happening here. The, the old ideas of we're connecting the world. There's lots of things yeah. that are connecting the world. Like this is not social network is not new. It's 20 years old. If I'm young and I want to put a dent in the universe, do I want to do it just to keep a middle-aged man feeling relevant and feeling like coming into work tomorrow? Well, I would say this, that if you're a CEO of a company, your job is to grow that company. Mm-hmm. And if you're, working in social media, you are going to deal with existential challenges all the time. This question of like, are we going to be relevant tomorrow has always been with Facebook. Mm. So, and I think that like this idea of like, um, you know, are you going to, uh, uh, you know, be in it for, you know, something exciting or to help, you know, aggrandize a CEO. I mean, it's kind of, it's one of the features of capitalism is when you take a job, that's, that's what you're doing. So, um, but you know, I think people can find, uh, listen, it's definitely, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just trying to round out this conversation. Yeah. I don't think it's in a good place. I think it is flailing a little bit. And, um, and, I, I, and let me we'll, come back we'll see, to goes, we'll see, I'll say, we'll see what happens when, uh, when, when you know, all these crypto jobs mm. start to dry up. 
uh, or many of them start to dry up. Yes, and then, that's true. You know, because all the talent was going to crypto. Yes. Now that it's not going to go to crypto in the way that it was before, because there's just what it was three trillion dollars yesterday, and now it's one trillion dollars, and we'll see how far it will fall. Um, then, then we start to see what jobs people are interested in, and <laughs> and I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe working on Instagram. Call your friend choose Instagram. If you find a way to get in there, take on that challenge and write the ship. That's going to be something that you can brag about. Except that they seem to be willing to um, sacrifice Instagram in the in the um, yeah. hope of staying relevant. As I'm saying, let's put a bow on it by by highlighting, underlining the other thing you said, which is if you're on someone else's platform and they can mm-hmm. change a thing and you lose ten billion dollars worth of revenue. Yeah. Did you? really have a good business model, but to his credit, that's mm-hmm. what Zuck has known all along. And yeah. why do you think he wants to make that's the metaverse? Well, I remember. I, yeah. So I sat with him for my book and mm-hmm. the last cha- the last end of that chapter is all about, um, is all about operating systems. And I was like, what do you feel about the fact that you're the most vulnerable of all tech giants? Mm. And you could see him sort of, uh, you know, grimace when he talked about Apple and, you know, very proudly hold up an Android phone because it's, mm. you know, not Tim Cook trying to constrain him. And obviously uh, the metaverse is the idea to try to get beyond this. However, it seems like it's going to be, you know, quite some time. OK, I know we want to speak about regulation. We want to speak about Amazon and Shopify. Um, this idea of, you know, the recession, quote unquote, or maybe, you know, bold print that we're in the travel world, and then your thoughts on virtual reality. So why don't we take a break and come back right after this? Cool, except for the fact that on my show, we don't take breaks. <laughs> okay, well. You'll have to do an edit point right here or leave this in. But okay, go ahead. Yes. so for big technology podcast listeners, we'll be back after this. <laughs> and we're back on the big technology podcast and the Tech Meme Ride Home collab crossover episode. This is fun. It's, uh, yes. it's nice uh, getting a chance to hang and talk with you, Brian. Just just two neighbors, you know, yeah. hanging out in the hood. That's right. We don't live far away at all. Uh, uh, uh. So I took a shot at the coast, uh, you know, in the first half, but here we are in Brooklyn. So yes, exactly. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I'm in a glass house and I'm throwing rocks. What do you want to tackle next? Um, Let's let's do Amazon real quick because mm-hmm. I specifically don't have a lot to say about it other than I want your opinion on what you think of Andy Jassy's first is it a year or six months at this point? Um, I Somewhere feel in the middle. I, yeah, I feel like he's pulling back obviously from certain uh, Bezos things. Is that more uh, personality? difference would you say or is it one of those things where if somebody's been in charge for two decades you have a a change of regime like new ideas are going to flood in because the dam has been broken yeah i think it's area of expertise Mm. so bezos has always been a retail guy he started the bookstore Mm -hmm. you know he started Mm -hmm. the everything store Mm -hmm. aws was a side project right right? the web hosting thing was something that he effectively so andy jassy for folks who don't know was the first person to shadow bezos as his technical advisor bezos thought it would be a good idea to have him take every meeting that he took and bill gates used to do exactly watch how he he ran the company 
And then the idea was that once Jassy was done after a year and a half or so, he'd be able to go run something influential within the company. And eventually what he did was, you know, take this product that they were, they were building and, and run uh, AWS and obviously built it into an extremely successful business. That to me clearly is, if not the future of the company, at least the future of the company's profits, right? The retail organization operates basically at, at break even. It has this advertising business that's doing well and making it look profitable which it is um, when you add in the advertising. But it is interesting that Jassy is coming from AWS. And, and I think the challenges, there will be serious challenges for this company, obviously, when he started in the pandemic. You know, they ramped, I think it was, what, in 20, 24 months, they doubled their capacity, their fulfillment capacity. And let me tell you something, in 2019, they had a lot of fulfillment capacity. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they, they you know, built these fulfillment centers, hired so many people, um, you know, and, and operated in the method where as, as if the pandemic was perpetual and now they have to pull back. I mean, that is a very, very difficult problem to manage. And that's the, you know, AWS, you know, seems to be trucking quite yeah. well. The, the real question Still is... Still growing 40% of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crushing. So the retail, the retail organization is now the question mark at Amazon, which is wild. And, <laughs> um, and, and I think this is compounded by the fact that Jeff Wilkie, who was the CEO of Worldwide Consumer Amazon, mm. left the company pretty much as soon as uh, Andy Jassy was named CEO. Because Wilkie was hoping it was going to I, I think there's a story there. Yeah. I've heard some chirps, but um, you know, I, I'd like to get a little bit more reporting before I nail that one down. And, um, and then uh, Dave Clark who also ran retail, um, is, uh, is now on his way to Flexport, who I'm hoping to have on the show at some point. Right. So, so what do you do if you're the AWS guy, which Jassy is, you have the biggest challenge for your company is retail, and those two pillars of the company that your company leaned on to make that retail business run smoothly, not there anymore. Let me ask you an unfair question that I asked on my show recently. Uh, this is completely unfair. What are the odds at the end of this decade, Amazon has not spun out AWS? So I guess to frame it properly, by the end of this decade, is AWS inside of Amazon one big tent Mm. or are they separate companies? I think that it, it will hold on to AWS as long as it possibly can, unless it's forced. And I don't think it's going to get forced. I have two reasons for this. Okay. One is spinning off a company sucks. Mm. And uh, even if it's even if it's Jesse's baby, yes. And because if you think about it, if you go into fulfillment centers, all these fulfillment centers are powered by AWS. If you look at the uh, you know things like the Echo and you know that's an AD, run on, on AWS. When AWS goes down, this stuff goes down. So I think it would be really difficult to extract you know these or, or to de-link these two mm-hmm. businesses. Mm-hmm. They're actually more linked than than many of us imagined. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I also think that like AWS does pump out a lot of cash, which will always make it. It's almost like this one plus one equals three type of thing where it makes the retail business look better. What do you think? It seems like you, you think that this is going to break, break out. I, I do. Um, Why is that? Just because, um, I think that, I think that the consumer business, I, I understand what you're saying that. AWS powers all the things. It'll power them going into healthcare, you know? But I think that the consumer business um, makes more sense as a consumer business that focuses on consumer things, even consumer healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, AWS makes more sense as an arms dealer 
serving everyone. Mm. Um, and I think that also Jassy being the CEO uh, makes that more likely. Um, but this is one of those things where um, uh, no one's going to really hate us if we're wrong either way. <laughs> it's like, this is <laughs> impossible to prognosticate on. But yeah. this does lead me into, I, I do want to hit Shopify real quick because Shopify yeah. is the, uh, no, Albanian army. That was the, that was the Netflix analogy. Uh, Shopify was the rebel alliance taking on Amazon and um, they haven't like round tripped all the way back to their IPO Valuation because they I, they they went public and no one knew who the fuck they were, mm-hmm. but they have really round tripped from their heights, um, and so do you have any sense of what's going on there? Like uh, the the glib thing to say is that this is another pandemic casualty, but that can't explain their 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 market gross market what whatever GMV stands for. I can never remember. It's still growing, right? Why all of a sudden are people so bearish on, on, on Shopify? Well, it's a great question. Um, I think there, there's been this great meme going around where it's like, you never want to be the Canada's most valuable company. <laughs> right. Like people talked about research in motion, right. and Blackberry. And it's like that. Didn't and work Nortel. Out well. And yeah, 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 this is a thing. So welcome to club Shopify. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. you haven't broken the curse. I mean, it is still worth $43 billion, but it's trading. It's been trading in the thirties. And mm-hmm. uh, let's see last November, it was at one fifty-seven. Mm-hmm. So that's one heck of a decline. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things that come to mind. One is that I think investors were largely uh, trading Shopify and belief that it had a future value to bring. And when the rate goes up, then all of a sudden that goes by the wayside. And mm-hmm. you've seen Shopify and lots of e-commerce get hit. I also think there was this belief that during the pandemic that we would just stay yeah. in that e-commerce world. We haven't. Um, I would also posit that Shopify had more than just the storefronts. Um, that it wanted to make work. It wanted to do its own fulfillment they network. Bought a fulfillment company, yeah. That where, what's going on with that? It's gone. It's gone nowhere. Okay. And then, like, I one, yeah. one, one last thing. And we talked about, you know, is your business going to be vulnerable if Tim Cook makes a decision? Mm. But it, it seems oh, clear to me yes. that the fact that companies using Shopify can no longer, you know, optimize their ad campaigns and the cost of acquiring were, customers exactly, has gone up. It's gone up. And if you're on razor thin margins, which a lot of retail companies mm. are, and all of a sudden, you know, Apple says, all right, people, if you don't want to be tracked, you don't have to be tracked. Everyone's like, I don't want to be tracked by Facebook anymore. But meanwhile, it does end up hurting a lot of these shops, which in turn hurts Shopify. Yeah, I, I, that's I, that's dumb of me. I had forgotten the, oh. the eight. TT angle. And one more thing, yeah. the supply chain. Can you yeah. imagine yeah. being, can you imagine, let's say, let's take this one uh, example. You are a small business owner that, you know, you got laid off or you got fed up with your job in, let's say May or June, 2020. And you said, all right, it's time for me to create, you know, everyone's at home. I'm going to create finally my dream company. sell online, you know, we'll do stuffed pigeons and uh, your stuffed pigeons start flying off the shelves, mm-hmm. the virtual shelves that is. And with Facebook ads, you have very low cost to reach people. Right. And uh, the business seems to be doing great. And then all of a sudden you can't get your shipments of, of yeah. you know, crates of stuffed pigeons in from China because what used to cost $2,000 to ship that container. Now it costs 20, 25. Now the cost is coming down, but when you get hit by this on all angles, um, you might shut down. And that is something that Shopify, you know, will either get hit by or mm-hmm. at the very least the growth, the growth that they expected to continue when conditions were good, um, is much harder to come by with all these factors. Or, we're in a recession. Look at my segue power here. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, 
last week's earnings, you know, everybody in tech re- reported last week, and there were some bad reports. Meta, maybe one mm-hmm. of them, you know, of was bad. shrunk for the first yeah. time, except for the fact that it wasn't disastrous and no one, like Tim Cook said, we see weakness here and there. Google was an interesting one, our alphabet. Yeah. Because if anybody has a sense of the global advertising market and thus what you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, uh, customer acquisition, um, and they didn't really sound the alarm um, that, boy, we're seeing cutbacks everywhere, recession is coming. I- I'm not going to ask you, no one, there's no one on this planet, even Warren Buffett, that can predict if we're in a recession, predict when recessions come. But what are what is your thought in terms of if... Tech was tech ballooned during COVID because tech was the first to say, "Hey, listen, we're still doing pretty good over here." I know everybody's been laid off, but if they're saying it's not that bad, we're seeing weakness, but it's not that bad. Is that tech being exceptional? And maybe there still will be a recession, but tech will be fine. Mm. Or maybe we're not having a recession. Yeah, I think tech will generally do better than most sectors in a recession. In a recession. Um, we talk about Amazon Web Services, which we were just talking about. Like, it's not like enterprise companies are going to shut down their websites because you know the economy is contracting a little mm-hmm. bit. That business will still do strong. I saw some analysts talk about how they expect it to go down ten percent. You know, that seems ridiculous to me. Uh, but I also think that a lot of the you know not too bad moment that we saw was largely because we were expecting really bad. Yeah. But it was still bad. Yeah. Like with Apple, for instance, they were expected to you know take a four to eight billion dollar hit. Right. Um, you know, because of uh, supply chain mm-hmm. and shutdowns in China. But iPhone and still grew 3%. Yeah, it grew, but yeah. MacBooks didn't, yeah. didn't grow yeah. as much yeah. as they wanted. And, yeah. um, you know, they said, okay, we came in a little bit under than the, you know, the $4 billion that we expected. And everyone's like, hot damn, Apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You crushed it. Yeah. They still took this $3 plus billion dollar hit. Yeah. So, I don't know. What's your take? What, what do, you, do, you think, do, you, do you think we're in a recession? here's the interesting thing. Recessions are at least in our lifetimes and at least going back to the 20th century, a binary thing. Like you either it's all or nothing. Like everything's down. And like, like there's this weird thing where we have inflation right now, but jobs, everybody's well, not everybody's employed for Take this in the spirits. We're of close to full employment, full That's employment true. and uh, wages still going up. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what if we had, like, a spotty recession? I guarantee you, for certain sectors of the tech economy right now, full-on recession. Full-on, we've seen layoffs. You're in crypto. You're in a depression. Look, but, but that's mm-hmm. my point, is that, like, maybe it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because it, if depending on where you are in the economy, you're going to be experiencing one thing or another. Yeah. Do you remember after the pandemic, um, they were talking, or mid-pandemic, they were talking about this K recovery? Yes. Where half of the, you know, half of folks you right. know, do well, have to right. do poorly. Right. 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 So what so. if, what if, like, in aggregate, everything muddles along and says mm-hmm. not that bad, just like we said with the tech. But yeah. if you look at certain 
areas of the elephant, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're bleeding out, yeah. and other areas of the elephant are perfectly fine. It just depends on what part of the elephant you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be what we're doing yeah. right now. And it's it's interesting. I mean, the stock market last week had a very nice... I think the stock market was up this something month, like 7% in July. This month was the best month since 2020 yeah, right. for the stock market. And yeah. people said... There, I mean, we're, the S&P is By still this month, down. I mean July. July. Yes, sorry. Yeah, the S&P is still, uh, is still down significantly on the mm-hmm. year. It's definitely in correction territory. Well, and here's but, the other... You know, there were people predicting it was going to be 38%, and it's not. It's definitely not there yet. You so. keep talking about crypto. And so, again, yeah. it, 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 I'm, I'm saying my thesis is it depends on where you look. Because um, last week, there was another story of... Um, Katie Wan, uh, somebody raised another $500 million crypto mm. fund, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're saying to me, oh, well, y- you said sort of obliquely that, well, all those people that were attracted to crypto startups, they're not going to, the crypto startups are going to be gone. I don't know. They're still a freaking. Uh, Andreessen has a $5 billion crypto fund. So yeah. you see what I'm saying? Like, I get it and I see it in the startups, like, you know, Companies that a year ago we'd be looking at to invest in and they ask for a $30 million valuation are coming and very happy to get 10, you know, so are you still investing in crypto companies? Um, I've only done two or three. When was the last one you did? Uh, not last quarter. Okay. So it would have been uh-huh. in, in the spring. Yeah. yeah I, I think that we'll still see action in crypto, but, but it, this is my point. Yeah. This is my point. Right. Okay. Valuations have come down. Yeah. People have been writing, VCs have been writing notes about, you know, hunker down and, you know, and yes, I had um, an investment blow up in three weeks. Wait, wait, (laughs) tell that story. How much can you share about that? Um, Well, very good founder who, um, and literally calls me on the phone three weeks after the the check clears and says, listen, uh, the, the $2 million that I needed from, uh, there's a million dollars from one other investor and a million to to close this round. They walked They're They're literally ghosting me and not returning their calls, my calls. And so listen, I'm going to return your money. Ah. The check cleared three weeks ago. Okay. (laughs) Now at the same time, um, like, I've seen rounds where not me, but the lead investor said to the company, your valuation is absurd and it got cut in half in two days. Okay. Mm. So everybody's in flux, right? But my point that I'm trying to make here is that like you said about dry powder, Mm. there's still tons of money. The biggest rounds that I've seen this summer Right. continue to be crypto. So you're saying that crypto is whatever, but the, the, the what we hundred million dollar a rounds, mm. $50 million seed rounds were common six months ago across the spectrum. You only see those in crypto right now. Do you think that crypto is still going to be that hot place to work? Like it has been over the past couple years. Um, Maybe it is. If that money is coming in, maybe it is. Yes. But I'm looking at the blow, blow ups of like. And I um, want to say to you. Three Arrows Capital and, this, and Terra Luna. But this stuff. is based on founders that I'm talking yeah. to. Young people believe in this. Okay. So I, you know, I'll admit, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about the extent of the damage in crypto. I do look at the big blow ups and, and you say, asked me, am I yeah. investing in crypto? Yeah, I'm not. So that must okay. mean I'm a skeptic on some level, right? If I'm not putting my money where my mouth is, uh-huh. but I'm also saying that I'm seeing the energy, the energy hasn't left. And also I was involved in the crypto space during the crypto winter in 2017, 2018 mm. after the ICO boom went bust. Yeah. And 
those people disappeared for a certain amount of time. Now, listen, Brian, you weren't plugged into the circles where I was still, I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. It's not like that where a wind swept the plane and it was clear. People are still working. People are still churning. People are still raising big rounds. But there is, yeah, it is interesting. You know, it's, it's this balance um, because like, I don't doubt that that's true. I also know that we're seeing a lot of, a lot less uh, NFT profile pictures on Twitter where it has been. And this, this is the optimist case. We gave the optimist case for Facebook, you know, let's give the optimist case for crypto. Mm-hmm. And I spoke about this with Gavin Wood on, the, on my show a little bit ago. He's the uh, co-founder of Ethereum. Um, it could be that a lot of these bad actors, you know, do get swept out of the system mm-hmm. and you know, it has its mini financial crisis and actually starts to build based off of that base, learn those hard lessons and be useful. Uh, in a way that people hoped. However, the, I would say the one issue with that is that it's you know deregulated by default, and so you know de- when when the mainstream banking system goes down, it learns lessons, it writes some laws, maybe weak laws, but laws that are good enough to keep it out of that same trouble again, and that's how it evolves and gets better. I wonder what if that happens with crypto. I want to I want to say this last thing about crypto. Mm-hmm. And stress again that I don't, <laughs> I don't have any skin in this game. I, I'm not like a crypto maximalist. I'm not a crypt, crypto pessimist. But mm-hmm. let me let me play the devil's advocate of crypto pessimist right here. And and Jason Calacanis has sort of been banging this bell for a while, and he's clearly a pessimist. Well, although not, Jason once told me that he thought he was going to put five percent of every, everyone should put five percent of their money into Ethereum, just a, as a hedge for mm-hmm. the future or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's the cynic's take that I've heard of crypto, and it's a cynic bull case. They need one more pump to happen. The big pools of money do. So there's a lot of people that have told me, oh, I guarantee you crypto will go back to its highs at some point over the next three years because all of this money needs it to happen. And the reason is because in the coin tokenization economy, you don't need 10 years for your investment to pay off. You just need your investment to get hot, have an ICO, and have a liquid coin that you... And and so there's so much money going into crypto that they're going to need to pump those bags one more time to get out clean. But who's going to put that money in? Is it going to be the retail? It's the $5 billion... Oh, to when the pump pump happens? Oh, yeah, right. No, it's... Retail is going to be left holding the bag like it has in the past. I, I wonder if people are learning their lesson now. The only fly in that ointment is mm. if the SEC mm. or FTC does crack down, yeah. let's say tomorrow the SEC goes to Coinbase and says, by the way, 90 of these coins on your exchange are, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Securities. Are securities. Um, that's going to put a crimp in a lot of things. You mean we're not going to be able to trade bullshit the coin anymore? Yeah, right, 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 right. So there's a, there's a race between, can we pump the bags? This is the Mm -hmm. cynics take. This is not Brian's take. Right. Um, one more time and then, then we'll get out. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, it's, it's like every bubble. Can you get out Indiana Jones style, pull your hat out before the door crashes down. Yeah, I think it might be over, but but I can be proven wrong. I do think that there is potentially interesting applications of this. Positive technology. take is yeah. tons of smart people believe in this. There's but, but tons that, of energy. Yeah, that that to me is just it's not enough. I need more than that. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. 
The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com/ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's k o l i d e dot com slash ride collide dot com slash ride. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. Um, okay, let me give you, this is adjacent. Um, yeah. This is at the end of our show running notes here. Yeah. But I felt that way about VR. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about And so this VR. gets to the metaverse because mm-hmm. crypto... But, uh, plugs into the metaverse as sort of like your doesn't really have to though digital but okay. property but that's this yeah. is the bull case okay okay i love this example that you're about to cite okay um on uh whatever the app is it's one of the vr chat vr chat i think it might be owned by meta i can't remember um somebody has created a virtual kmart that thousands of people play in all the time <laughs> and you do essentially role-playing games in the same way right you check you, you work as the cashier in vr right and and you you go and you buy something and you check out and whatever listen alex in 1990 i was the captain of a starship in a text-based star trek role-playing game on uh-huh. the prodigy message boards okay yeah. this is the sort of <laughs> grassroots from the bottom up right sort of creativity that says to me there's energy in a space okay it doesn't say to me there's energy in a space if people create a coin that its whole purpose is to just get a 10 billion dollar market cap and then all of a sudden rug pull and go to you know wherever yeah. people with no in monetary incentive and nothing other than this is just cool i mm. want to do this mm. that and i've been skeptical on vr since 
I've been an adult because since I've been an adult, VR was always the next big thing and it never has been. Mm. You see things like that happen where there's no goddamn good reason for this. It's just, it's fun and people want to do that. That's where then eventually accidentally someone creates a business out of it later on. So your skepticism about crypto is, and I agree with you, that it's been a lot of the pretty people doing a lot of just get rich quick stuff. But in a, in a winter, people in crypto, in VR, do things like, hey, let's, let's create a virtual Kmart yeah. <laughs> and play in it, thousands of us every day. Yeah, and, and I think that really goes to the size of the market question, right? Which is, um, is, is the size of the market in VR gonna be more than gaming? There was an article that we both read before, and I think it was by Ryan Broderick or Casey Newton about how um, Facebook is actually selling an amazing number of uh, Oculus headsets compared mm -hmm. to the Xbox or yeah, the PlayStation. Yeah. But if that's the comp, you're looking at it in the gaming world, mm -hmm. right? So there is you know, a ceiling there. It is a great gaming service that people might really like. But it's not this new verse, no, new universe. Right, because you're not hearing of someone exactly. playing the Red Dead Redemption of yeah. VR or the yeah. Fortnite of VR. You're not hearing that because it's not happening. Yeah, but even but even that is, yeah. is a gaming use case. Yeah. And, and if it is, great. It's yeah. a good business yeah. for them. Um, but it's a gaming business, which means that its total addressable market is much smaller. And now I think we're in the same place with crypto where we know there's going to be something, I think. And the question is, is it the change the world use case like mm -hmm. the Web3 evangelists want it to be, mm -hmm. which who, who their parallel would be Zuckerberg and change the mm -hmm. company name to Meta? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be something smaller, maybe akin to gaming for the Oculus? And, and if, it, if it gets into like Xbox territory, great. You know, that's that's pretty good. But we'll, we'll see what, what happens. You know, um, real quick and then we'll, yeah. we'll do our last one, which we should do the travel one. Travel one. Yeah. Yes. Um, see, you and I have similar hosting instincts. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know Bobby Goodlotty? Yes. Um, I, he, he's, he's done Twitter threads and he did a Twitter space and I've tried to get him to come on my show to talk about this. But here's my biggest problem with crypto right now as an investor and as just an observer of yeah. the space is that it, it, Bobby's thing was like, can we just get the religion out of this? Like, why does it have to be? Mm -hmm. It's almost like crypto as a space is hamstrung by the fact that it has to adhere to the dream of Satoshi or whatever the fuck, yeah. right? Yep. And so it is, I never asked you if I could curse on your show. I'm sorry. Oh. Um, if you have to go back you and- You can now. <laughs> if you've got to go back and edit, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's my problem where in this space, there are good ideas that I see happening, even in things like DAOs, which seem crazy to people and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, but good idea, good idea, good idea. And then we're going to do it on the blockchain and do a token. And half the time I'm like, but why? Yeah. Well, do you, what is the point of, well, because we have to adhere to this religion that we've come up in. And, 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 and on, on top of that, like, the point that I've made on my show is the number one thing to get a company successful is to delight a customer. Mm -hmm. And if every time you try to delight a customer, you make them jump over this hurdle <laughs> that you have imposed because of your religion mm -hmm. uh, that complicates it and makes it less delightful to them, yeah. then you're not going to have a successful product. Ryan, I think that's spot on. I think that like there's, there's a difference between building technology that's useful to people, which I think a lot of people in crypto are trying to do, and running a religion 
And I think that it has become a religion for a lot of people who do see, you know, these messianic use cases for it. And so, you know, Bobby and I, we've gone back and forth. Maybe I can tell you off the air about it, but uh, I don't know. We, we got into some spat, but I think everything's good now. But his idea of, uh, of taking the religion out of crypto, there's only one reaction to that. I'm doing a stand ovation. Yeah, I'm yeah. standing up and applauding. Take the religion out of it. Yeah, and you might be able to. Be and by the way, the blockchain business. can have use cases. Yeah, but that's my point: is that you're bending over backwards to fit everything into this blockchain mold that you have. Yeah, exactly, and we've seen that on like the three avatar show, where like yeah. people come in and try to yeah. give use cases for Twitter, yeah. and they're just absolutely destroyed. Okay, travel. Yes. So I, I read this great story on Curbed. Mm-hmm. Um, about how you can no longer flight hack. Yes. And like, even like, you know, they, uh, the people who are like airline, uh, you know, status members or mile runners. Can I tell you a story? This is why I wanted to do this. Yeah. 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 I once flew, I've only Mm. been to Hawaii once in my life. I flew to Hawaii for 24 hours Mm. because I was doing a status run because Delta was doing this insane deal (laughs) that I would, it it was, it was like a, it was like a $1,200 ticket. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And so it's like a, I was living in Detroit at the time, so I can't remember. It was like a 15-hour flight each way. Where did you connect? In the Philippines or something? No, it was direct. Oh, okay. I yeah, see. yeah, yeah. But that was the point. No, no, no. I had to drive to Pittsburgh from Detroit, <laughs> fly out of Pittsburgh. <laughs> I knew it couldn't have been that easy. Exactly. But yeah. it was a $1,200 ticket, so yeah. it was, okay, wait. I can either try to do all this with the credit cards or do these many flights. I'd, I'd have to do like four or five flights. Yeah. This one flight... It'll be over in three days. Mm-hmm. I'll get to see Waikiki Beach. <laughs> and I'll turn around and come back. Yeah. Right. So I, I am. Oh, a, so you did that to get status. To get status because I ended up getting like 70,000 miles uh-huh. or some shit. Nice. And they were MQMs. and Yeah. yeah. So uh, listen, I'm, I'm a points guy and a, yeah. a, a, a flight runner from way back. So mm-hmm. I get this. Yeah. But uh, like all this stuff that's happening um, is basically... The, the article says that you can't really hack flights. It's right. just going to be miserable, you know, for you or, uh, and, and you know, basically there's not much you can do. And the, and the kicker is amazing. It says if it's, if it's less than seven hours drive, just drive. Yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> this well, is a great, another great line. Airlines will laugh in your face as you scroll the points guy while maybe getting your third round of COVID in the airport. Like it has become such a disaster. Mm-hmm. I'm saying this as I'm about to get a flight. So, yeah, yeah. um, um, you know, pray for me, everyone. But um, but I do think that that the state of travel right now, it's a pain that, you know, a lot of us are traveling over you the summer. You know who you should have on your show? And, do you yeah. know Rafat Ali, who runs Skip? Yeah, 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 I yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Although I have, I'm happy to have him. I don't mind. I feel like every time I see Rafat tweeting one of my stories, like he's always saying something negative about it. So yeah. um, you and your, I mean, you I and think, your media beats. I got, I think, yeah, I got, I got a lot of haters out there. I think Rafat might be among them, but if he mm. wants to come on the show, you know, he's welcome. Well, and uh, the, people who, who don't like what I'm doing, like I'm happy to have him on. The point of what's happening with travel right now is forget mileage runs and, and points. I didn't even know there was such thing as my hackers. <laughs> oh, there's, there's entire websites that used to exist. And I did this more than a decade ago, so I haven't done it recently, but like that will tell you that will scan the things and be like, if you, yeah. if you fly to Taos and then down to Fort Lauderdale <laughs> and do this, you'll get the maximum. It's all about right. getting the maximum amount to get the status and get the whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the airlines know that. And that's mm-hmm. how they fill. Um, mm-hmm. Look, the, the point of this travel stuff is forget that you can't even do connecting flights. Yeah. Don't 
plan a con don't do a trip that requires you to have forget a 50 minute layer layover in Detroit a three hour layover in Detroit might not work mm -hmm. for you like that's the yeah. point like and and the, the interesting thing to me is like it's, it's sort of like how people in America don't realize that um inflation as a problem is global mm -hmm. like i <laughs> first started hearing about this from my friends in britain mm -hmm. when like heathrow was like lines for 12 hours and people's bags getting lost or whatever yeah. like this is to me and you're closer to this than i am this is the whole this is the the globalization um infrastructure that has existed since the 90s mm -hmm. um covid broke it now, yeah. either it's reconstituting itself and rebuilding, or it's not. But right now, it is not functioning yeah. as a healthy system. Yeah, I think this is definitely a COVID outgrowth where people were at home for so long and are now doing what's called revenge travel. Yes. And I've done it, and it's awesome. But it just stinks being in the airport. So look, my advice here, so <laughs> mm. why don't we end with our number one okay. travel tip? Yes. And then my advice to everyone is if you're flying this, this is a hilarious segment. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're flying this summer, yes. my one uh, piece of advice is it's obvious, but it served me well is if you can help it at all, just go carry on. Mm. And uh, there's a form of backpack that I just discovered. It's called the MCL, which just means the maximum no, MLC, the maximum legal carry-on. And you can get it as like a 45-liter backpack. Mm. Go out, make the investment. I'm going to try to fly with it now. I'm not checking that thing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then you won't worry about your badge. You just got to worry about the delays and stuff like that in the crowded airports and the cancellations. But wow. I will take one big issue off of your plate. And, uh, and uh, if you can roll your clothes up and fit it in that carry-on, you can be a happy camper. Uh, well, I don't know about your MCU backpack, but because um, <laughs> I, 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 I haven't even thought of the losing the bag stuff. Um, but uh, I would say no connecting flights. That's no the connections. Other thing. Yeah, mm. pay the extra money to to go direct or fly at five a.m. to go direct because that lessens the the odds of stuff going bad. Can I tell one more story before? Yeah. Yeah. So I was flying from uh, New York to Vegas uh, doing a bachelor party for one of my friends, not in Vegas, in Utah. It was hmm. clean, wholesome, fun, um, mm -hmm. you know, hanging out in Zion National Park, which was awesome. And uh, we, there was a storm on the way to Nevada and uh, that would have added about an hour of flight time. And the co-pilot that was coming in you know, with that extra hour was now illegal to fly because he would be in the air too mm, long. Right, right. And so, like, we were just sitting there and just waiting, you know, to be deplaned. Mm -hmm. And then some guy sitting in, like, row 15 raises his hand. And he's like, I'm a pilot. I work for Delta. Just put me in the co-pilot seat <laughs> and I'll get you there. And he apparently hadn't started drinking yet. So they're like, they told us this all over the yeah, yeah. intercom. They're like, all right, well, we're going to log him in and away we go. And it was, wow. a, it was a miracle. And we, we got there. So your, your, your travel tip is fly, fly with, with a pilot. pilot. Be yeah. a, get your pilot's license. Yeah. And, uh, and pray for the best. Um, this has been fun. Yeah. Alex, listen, uh, yeah. again, uh, you've been on the show a couple of times. So people know, mm -hmm. um, big technology podcast, big technology newsletter. Yeah. What would, if, if, if someone listening right now, what would you rather than do? Listen to the podcast or subscribe to the newsletter? I, I think the podcast is where, um, is where folks who, especially if you're here to this point of the show, you enjoy the audio format. Um, I, I, you know, I work hard on both 
Um, but if you want to check out the podcast, like I said, I think it's a nice compliment to tech meme right home. And if you're a big technology podcast listener and you're here with us to this point, I recommend tech meme right home. You're going to like it. And it's a nice compliment to my show. And I think the listening to, to both of them, um, you know, will just make the experience much richer. Um, you know, for, for each episode. Well, and you'll hear Alex on it, even when he's not uh, verbally on it, <laughs> because my dumb tweets? W- when he has a, <laughs> when he has a scoop, I will do yeah. the, the story on my show and, nice. and read his dumb tweets. And yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So apologies for the tweets. I'm going to work hard to, to reel those in, but it's just the impulse. I don't so think strong. of you as a dumb tweeter at no, all. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Brian, it's been fun. Yep. How do you usually sign off your show? When I do the thing with Chris Messina, uh-huh. I stumbled onto my closing catchphrases. I love everybody. That's a great one. Do you want to know why? Why? Because <laughs> we usually do them late at night, like uh-huh. nine nine p.m. on a Thursday. Yeah. And so to get to sleep afterwards, I have to take gummies. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm stoned half the time when we end our show <laughs> at like ten thirty at night. Yeah. And so just one night, I'm like, I don't know, man. I love everybody. That's a great. <laughs> so way now to I end. say I love everybody. Yeah. So I love everybody. Okay. Well, um, just a quick thank you to uh, the team that helped me uh, with Big Technology Podcast LinkedIn for having me as part of the podcast network. Nick Watney, the master of audio. And, uh, and all of you, uh, the listeners and to all tech meme right home listeners that have stuck around would, would love to have you on the feed. We do our show every Wednesday, uh, with the tech insider, our outside agitator. And with that, I just want to say, I love everybody. I love Alex. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>